0: all right good morning again like i said we're starting a new series from passion to victory and this morning we're going to be talking about son of man that came to serve and i know what you're thinking all right children's pastors up here talking about serving he's going to put a bunch of guilt on us trying to get us to sign up to volunteer i promise you as tempting as that was i'm not going to do that this morning but hey, if the Lord convicts you, you know there's a sign-up sheet right outside here. And just avoid all those other tables. Just go right to that children's. But, you know, whatever, right? No, just messing with you. The um, text this morning is Matthew 20. 20-28. Let's read it. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, "'Say that these sons of mine are to sit one at your right and one at your left in your kingdom.' Jesus answered, "'Do you not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I am am to drink?' They said to him, "'We are able.' He said to them, "'You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father.' And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. For whoever would be first among you must be your slave." even as the Son of Man came not to be saved, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. All right, so we've got a lot there. But I think the biggest thing here, and obviously it's kind of interesting, you know, the mother uh, is going to Jesus and saying, hey, you know, give me what I'm requesting. It's like, does she not realize who she's talking to here, you know? And it's like kind of crazy. And then, you know, the, the big part of The context is Jesus had just finished talking for the third time about his death. And, you know, and that's her response. It's like, wow, you know, this is real nice of you, woman. But anyway, I think it's important for us to really see that Jesus here shows us the Father's heart. And we see Jesus here giving a whole new perspective of the Father's heart for us. Because I don't know about you, but I grew up... And when I look back on it now, I had a very distorted misperception of who God the Father really was. You know, for me personally, uh, you know, what I learned in the church we went to in different things was my vision was that God was up there and He kind of had this board and He was marking tallies on good things I did and bad things I did. And He was kind of ready to crack me over the head with a stick if I did anything wrong. You know, but the reality is, is perception is everything, right? I mean, think about when you have a preconceived notion of someone. You know, and this is what, you know, a lot of gossip and different things do, because whenever someone tells you something about somebody that you have not met yet, the minute you walk up to them and meet them, you have all these ideas in your head that you're filtering through, Right? And you think in all these things, or, or if someone is, uh, has this job or position of this high status, there's just a different way that you approach that person, whether we like it or not, right? So there's this pre- preconceived notion that we have, but with God, this means everything. You see, because if we have the wrong perception of who God the Father is, if our filter system and how we see Him is distorted or off, think about how much that is going to impact your life. Because everything you read, everything you hear, is filtering through that perception. And if that perception isn't right, then it's going to distort our growth. It's going to affect the way that we live. Because the filter system is how we understand His Word and His ways. Listen to a conversation that Jesus is having With Philip and John 14, it says, if you have known me, you would have known my father also for now on. You do not know him. I'm sorry. For now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Jesus is saying here, hey look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am showing you the Father's heart by the way I am walking out and acting here on this earth. You know, the reason it was so hard for the disciples To understand that is because their perception of God was way off. You know, Jesus has come to be the King, right? And the Messiah. And their perception of what that was going to look like was much different than when Jesus came down, wasn't it? Not only for the disciples, but even more for the Pharisees and the leaders and the different people, because He didn't come like any other king that they had ever known. I mean, you think about the prophecies that prophesied about Jesus coming. Still, when they were running it through that perception, it was much different than what really came out and happened. Not that the Scriptures were lying. It's just their vision of what a king was and a man of authority was going to look like. But Jesus was reprogramming their mind on what true kingdom greatness really is. You see, ultimately our goal in life, I mean, we all have uh, specific calls and purposes, but ultimately our purpose here on life is to please the Father, right? It's to glorify God with the way that we live our lives and follow Him. But the question is, do we really understand how we are to do this? You know, in order to win someone over, You have to know their heart. Right. And when Danielle and I were first dating, that was my whole goal was just to win her heart over to impress her. Right. So everything she said, I was holding on to every word and I was tuned in. You ever realize that you can like read your spouse's mind after so long? I can hear what she's saying right now. Yeah, I remember those days. Maybe we need to have more of those days again. (laughs) I'm just joking. I'm a work in progress. But listen, I was holding on to every word for two reasons. For one, to see, is this the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with? And so another, I want to make her happy. I want to please her. I want to win her heart over. So if that's our goal in our Christian walk, then we have to understand What God's heart really is. We have to learn His heart in order to win Him over. And if Jesus came to show us the way, then the answer to that question is in His actions. And what He does will show us the way to the Father's heart, right? As Jesus said, I don't do anything than what the Father tells me. I am here to please the Father and nothing else. So when we watch Jesus' life and we see what He's doing, obviously that is the way to glorify the Father and to please the Father. But Jesus sums up a lot here in verse 28 on why He came. It says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Here we see Jesus telling us that He came to serve us by giving His life as a ransom for us. Definitely a different type of king than these guys were used to seeing. So it's first important for us to be reminded of this word ransom and what it really means. If Jesus came to be a ransom for us, what does the word ransom really mean? It means to give payment to release someone from slavery. It's to pay the price for their freedom. just want you to chew on that for a little while. Jesus came to take your place. To pay the price For your freedom. And the thing is, Jesus knew that He was going to have to pay the price for our freedom. For all mankind's freedom. But He also knew that He needed to teach us, once we have that freedom, what are we to do with it? You know, He doesn't just come to free us up and live our nice little merry lives and ways, right? I mean, there's a purpose for freeing us up that He wants us to walk out and do. You see, Jesus had freedom, right? I mean, obviously he was free. There was no bondage whatsoever in him. So what did he do with his freedom? Well, first he decided to come down from his place in heaven and become flesh. And I don't think things were so bad up in heaven, right? That he said, "Ah, I'm just kind of bored. Let me go down to earth and have a little action. No, he did this out of a sacrificial giving to us. Not only did he come down to become flesh, but he came to suffer. He came to save. He came to be a substitute for us and take our place. And the main thing, what we're going to talk about today is he came to be an example. And what kind of example? Well, he's definitely different than most of the kings in those days. Because most of the kings are people of higher authority in those days were more of do what I say, not what I do, right? And it was a lordship. It was a dictatorship. And although kings went into battle and fought with their people in the early days, it wasn't so much for their people. It was to protect their kingdom and their position. You know, but Jesus came as a total different kind of leader. came as a total different kind of king. You know, He showed humility. He didn't say, do what I say, not what I do. He said, follow me. He said, I will show you the way. Here in John 13, we see the example that Jesus set. So when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So read passages like this, and it just amazes us of God's humility, right? And his love for us. To come down God, Lord, and want to wash his disciples' feet. This is not like any other king of authority that they would have servants or be servants in this kind of way. Anyone of kingship or high authority would have servants of his own, right? But Jesus says, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And we read here in this passage about James and John, along with their sweet little mother. And they obviously seen that Jesus was willing to serve, right? They see him going around and he's, you know, washing feet and he's doing miracles and he's doing all these things and he's talking about this kingship and all this. So they're thinking, and be mindful, he just finished talking about his death for the third time. They're thinking, how can we. Make something out of this, right? We've been following Him around for three years. Here's it coming down to, what are we going to get out of this? They were looking to take advantage of an opportunity. I don't know about you, but I've had people that took advantage of my kindness or my genuineness and it doesn't feel good, does it? Like you help them out, you're trying to give them you know, a stepping stone to get out of the mess they're in, but they just keep coming back for more, Right? And they don't see it as an opportunity to get ahead and start blessing other people from it, but they just want more and more. And it gets frustrating, huh? Instead of seeing the heart of Jesus and wanting to follow His example, they were focused on what they can benefit out of Him. Not only them, but the whole group of disciples were thinking like this. Let's take a look at just a couple of situations that's recorded of what the disciples were thinking. I mean, we all know that they were consistently arguing on who would be the greatest, right? Luke 22, it says, "...a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, "...the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so much with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves." For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, I don't think they really heard that whole message, did they? I think they heard that last part pretty good, right? There was some selective hearing going on. Oh, we're going to drink at your table and sit on the throne judging people. This sounds pretty good. I'm in it, right? You know, after the disciples witnessed Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler, if you remember, he tells the rich young ruler, you know, the rich young ruler is asking, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, the Ten Commandments, say, yeah, 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 I'm good with that. He said, well, go sell everything. And then the rich young ruler takes off and walks off, right? So Peter's hearing this. And and look what Peter asks him right after he says this. In Matthew 19, it says, then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So Peter's feeling pretty good about himself right here, right? He's like, wow, if we've got to sell everything and follow him, Jesus, uh, you know, we just did that. And Peter's acting like he gave up a whole lot to follow Jesus. I think he gave up a fishing boat, you know, that was probably busted up. And the only time he ever caught fish was when Jesus went on there and told him where to throw the nets and did a miraculous right. So he he left a fishing boat and a dying business. And he's thinking, what am I going to get? Tell me, Jesus, show me. (laughs) So the question is, is it wrong for us to expect the reward for our sacrifice? Is it wrong for us to to expect a reward if I sacrifice things here on earth or, or if I sacrifice things here in my life for the gospel's sake? Is it wrong for us to look for a return on that? Well, that depends. It depends on our motives and what kind of reward are we looking for. It's not wrong if we're looking at an eternal reward. You see, instead of earthly rewards, because here's the thing, earthly rewards are to build our selfish kingdoms here. It's to get glory from man. But you see, the heavenly rewards are to build God's kingdom, and it is to get glory from God. Just look at here at what Jesus has promises promised the disciples. This is right after Peter said this. This is his next uh, message that, that he spoke to these disciples. To Peter and the rest of the disciples in Matthew 19 it says Jesus said to them truly I say to you in the key word new world when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life but many who are first will be last And the last first. Wow. And I'm sure Peter heard that. And again, he's thinking, all right, here we go. I left my boat, you know. But he wasn't looking at what this new world really meant. The problem is that the disciples were filtering things through a faulty belief system. Everything Jesus was saying, they were looking at, okay, Jesus is here. He's going to be the new king. We're going to overthrow this Roman government. We're going to reign on the thrones. And all those people that's been hard on us, we're going to have them under us. And the two brothers are thinking, how can I get closest to Jesus and sit on the sides of Him? And you know, our perception and our expectation of what the Gospel is going to do in our life will always cloud our vision if it's not proper. And I don't know if you know what cataracts are, and Dr. Bud's here, so I better get this right. I did read an article online, Dr. Bud, and I mean, I'm sure it was written by someone who went to school, and they just gave me the short version, right? Everything online is right. <laughs> But when you have cataracts, well, when you don't have cataracts, you have these lenses on the front of your eyes and they're clear and the light comes in and it reflects to the retina and some miraculous way sends a message to the brain and you see things clearly for what they are. But when you have cataracts, those lenses are cloudy. They have things on it to where when the light comes in, it doesn't reflect it correctly to the retina and you see things either blurry or a little different. Is that right, Dr. But? You want to hire me, don't you? (laughs) Take out the trash at least. (laughs) You know, so think about that. If we have cataracts, if our lens are a little bit blurry on our perception of who God is and what the gospel is supposed to do in our lives, think about what kind of track it's going to send you on. You will filter everything through that dirty lens or that dirty filter. And as you're reading God's Word and hearing things, It's going to throw you off. And that's what the disciples were doing here. See, they were looking at Jesus throwing over the the Roman government. They were going to sit on their earthly thrones. They couldn't see past their wants and desires. It's not that Jesus was selling them some kind of empty dream. He wasn't lying to them. He was trying to teach them of what true kingdom living and true kingdom greatness was all about. How to live out their purpose of what they were created for, you see. Because they weren't created to live to build a kingdom here on earth. And neither are we. God's not about our kingdom, or man's glory. He's about His kingdom and His glory. Eternal glory, eternal life, not just temporary glory here that ends with emptiness and regret. You know, many of us have listened to Dave Ramsey, and he's such a tremendous speaker, And as he speaks on finances, he just hits areas of the heart and different things in such a powerful way. But it's not always easy for people to follow his things, right? Because he's dealing with things of the flesh. And his greatest uh, statement that he says is if you live like no one else, later you can live like no one else, right? And you got to give something up now in order to live better later. And of course, that's what finances, but let's just look at that as eternal living. If we live like no one else now and follow these things that Jesus is talking about and live in this servanthood life. We are going to invest in a very good retirement in heaven, right? And it's not like we're looking for something. I, I totally believe that heaven is flipped upside down like Jesus showed us here. That it's not about having people serve you But there's a glory in serving other people. There is something special about serving other people. In our our human minds, it's hard for us to wrap around that. But if that's what Jesus is showing here, then obviously that's how it is there. But here we see that Jesus shows us what true greatness really is. After Jesus was arrested... He, uh, he gets taken to Pilate, of course, and they're trying to get him accused. And, uh, you know, Pilate asks him a couple of questions. First, he says, Are you really the king of the Jews? And after that, Pilate goes on to say, You know, well, I'm a Jew. So, in other words, are you king of me? You know, they were trying to catch him and convict him. But look at what Jesus responds in John 18. It says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. He says, I'm not like the kings of this world. I'm about my father's glory, not man's. Jesus was trying to teach his disciples of what true greatness in God's eyes was. That it was humble and self-giving, not proud and self-serving. The rest of the disciples heard James and John and what they were trying to get Jesus to do. And of course, they get very angry. And Jesus' response uh, was, was with His correction on what kingdom leadership would look like. If we look at verse 25 and 26, it says, But Jesus called them to Him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He was telling them that spiritual leadership wasn't about lording it over people. It was not dictatorship, but it was servant leadership. If you are to be a leader in my kingdom, it starts with servanthood. It starts with humility. And I think it's important for us to see what that word servant really means. You know, the word that we use today, deacon, comes from this word servant that Jesus was using. And this word deacon was never a spiritual word. It was actually a secular word that Jesus picked up. And it was actually used for like the lowest level of, um, of, of a, a job or a position to help someone, like to serve someone dinner, or to mow their grass. No offense, A-Poor. Eh, but, you know... To, to take the trash out or do these simple things that really didn't take a whole lot of training to do. And it wasn't any kind of dishonor or disrespect Jesus was trying to do. He was basically just saying that this is what reflects the selfish, humble life that I honor. Someone who would put themselves in this humble position to be a servant is what I exalt. And, and he called his 12 men, the men he invested everything into, this is what he called them servants. His, he elevated this word to a high position of honor that the world looked at as totally low. And if you remember in all the epistles, every one of them starts off with, they are a servant of Jesus Christ. They use this same word, and it became something that was way higher than any kind of low servant. But Jesus showed what the, what the way to the Father's heart was all about. And it's obvious James and John wanted to be great, but they only knew the worldly ways of getting there. You know, we see here that they're working hard on a plan to be great and successful, right? Their desire was like many of our desires, to make something of ourselves right nobody wants to be this loser in life we all want to make the best of our opportunities we just need to make sure that our motives and our measure of success is worth something there's a story of this very famous violinist who worked his way up and uh, became very popular and he had this this huge performance that he was doing and They packed the auditorium. There was over 2,000 people in it. His time to come up and he played that violin. He played it and just had the crowd stunned the whole time. And he got down to his grand finale and he played that so to his best ability. And then at the end, he stood up and he bowed to the crowd. The whole crowd stood up, gave him a standing ovation, cheering at him, clapped the whole way he got off the stage and he got to the back and he had tears coming down his eyes and he was very upset the person in the back said sir what are you so upset for he said they're going wild over you he said yeah but look in the middle right there there's one man that's not standing up and he's not clapping the guy in the back said but sir there's over two thousand people and they're cheering you on. He said, yeah, but you don't understand. He said, that one man, that's my father. And he's my violin coach. And if he doesn't cheer, this was all a failure. and It's worth nothing to me. And think about it. Shouldn't that be how we live our lives? And we're not looking for applause from man or worldly ways. But if the father... If Jesus isn't pleased with the way we're living our lives, it doesn't matter what the rest of the people are doing. If He's not happy, it's pointless. See, because we can work our whole lives climbing up this ladder, trying to get to the top and doing things and working hard and uh, sacrificing all these sacrifices. But if we get to the top of the ladder and look around at the end of life and realize the ladder was leaning on the wrong building, it was all pointless. Matthew 20, 20 and 21 says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right, one at your left, in your kingdom. The interesting thing here is if you look at the different Gospels and you look at the situation where Jesus was being crucified on the cross each book gives you a little bit different picture and if we look at these different pictures we can really see what was going on here and each of those situations that Jesus on the cross describes some women in a distance and they all and are describe three women that were at that cross and in the book of John it says Jesus' mother and one of the other mothers was his sister, was Jesus' mother's sister. And in Matthew it says that one of the women were the mother of the Zebedee sons, who is James and John here. And in the book of Mark, it names the woman as Salome. So do you get that? If you didn't, let me wrap it up for you. That woman, Salome, is Jesus' aunt. And this woman that's coming to him and asking for her sons to be at the left and the right of him is his aunt. That's kind of dirty, ain't it? You know, how do you say no to good old Aunt Salome, you know? And these boys knew this, right? They said, we're going to send mom over there. You know, all them times Jesus came play at our house and she fed him apple pie and cookies. Ain't no way you could say no to her, Right? All jokes aside, the truth is that these men, along with their mother, was trying to benefit off of family relations. They were trying to get something. It's like, we got the inside scoop here, right? We are related to Jesus. We got to come out with something better than the rest of these guys. You know, but isn't that what the world says? It's not all what you know. It's who you know, right? That's what matters. But Jesus, I'm sure he had to be frustrated with these guys. You know, after all he's gone through and he keeps trying to tell him, tell him, tell him, and they're just not getting it. I'm sure at this point he was thinking, wow, is this the best that we have to work with? You know, I'm coming down to my ends, about to sacrifice my life and they just ain't getting it. You know, are they ever going to get it? But well, the truth is, is they did get it. We all know that. The truth is, is Jesus knew that they were going to get it. And Jesus also knew that we were going to get it. Not because they were so smart or because they were these great servants, but because Jesus was the great servant. And the question is, what did He serve them with? Jesus serves us with the strength to be a servant. It's important for us to understand that we can't do this on our own. We can't just have these great um, wants and desires and self-motivation to want to be these great servants. I think it may start with that, but then we have to realize where the real strength comes from. And I think these disciples, when they finally seen the real purpose of what Jesus was talking about, it was a game changer in their lives. You know, we can look at their life before the resurrection, and they stuck with Jesus. They didn't leave him like a lot of other people, but they failed in a lot of different ways. You know, but then we look at their lives after the resurrection and it looked a whole lot different. It looked a whole lot more successful. You see, the problem was they were looking for self-improvement instead of servanthood. You see, what can Jesus do to better my life now? That's what they were looking for. And look, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that our life doesn't somewhat get better when we start following Jesus. Of course, the fruits of the Spirit start coming in us. But He doesn't promise external blessings or improvements in our lives. What he promises is internal blessings and change in our lives. He promises us hope and love and security and salvation. And the things that are internal in our lives is what he's impress- what, what he is promising us. It's very important that we don't filter the gospel through, boy, my life is going to be so much better because now I'm a Christian. You see, and the disciples were looking at what Jesus could do for them instead of what Jesus wanted to do in them. And if we remember the disciples, they all fled when Jesus was arrested. Matthew 26 says, But all this has taken place that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. They missed the message. It was never about being great in this life here. So what message were they missing? Listen to this in Mark 8. It says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You hear that? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? They missed that message, didn't they? He spoke it to them, but they were filtering that through something else. I think there was some real selective hearing going on. I think it's just kind of natural for us men to do that, right? At least I deal with that. My wife will say something and she'll be talking for a while. And at the end, she'll say, and we're going to go eat. And I'll be like, "Okay, where are we going to go eat? She said, you didn't hear anything else I just said, did you? I said, uh, uh, can I have multiple choice, please? <laughs> right? See, honey, it's in the Bible. Just, it's just a thing that men do. I'm sorry. Just joking. I'm just joking. But the first thing you look at here is, did you hear Peter rebukes Jesus? I mean, that's kind of wild, isn't it? I know he's called the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. But to rebuke Jesus is like, dude, it's like I'm sure the people around him, after he did that, they were like, get back, <laughs> right? Wasn't very smart on his part. But the reason he rebuked them is because it wasn't Peter's plan. It's like, no, wait, whoa, kingdom? Being great? We want to be your servants? You know, come on. What are you talking about, dying? But it was God's plan, even though it wasn't Peter's plan. And when we look at this, what does it really mean to lose our life in order to find it? A lot of times, in order to walk in God's plan for our life, we must lose our expectations on what life is supposed to look like. You know, sometimes our dream of what life should look like can get in the way of what God is trying to do in us one thing that i have realized is i always sell myself or god's plan really short with my plan compared to his plan and there's something that we have to understand that god's plan for our life is much better than our plan you know we want to filter it and kind of tell god well if you did this and you do this and you answer this things would be a whole lot better and it's kind of like who's lord here right is it us being lord trying to tell god what to do to make things better or are we the servants and wanting to follow Him? And you know, you look at Peter here and how I mean rebuked Jesus and you know, asking what's in it for him, but we've been studying in the book of 1 Peter, and is this the same Peter that we've been studying that's talking about encouraging exile believers not to worry about their life here but focus on eternity? It doesn't sound like the same Peter, does it? And know, look, let me just remind you, First Peter 1 says, In this you rejoice, though not now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, um, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, 5.10 it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to this eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is the same Peter, but what changed? You know, Peter just disowned Jesus three times and rebuked Him. And now all of a sudden, he's focused on the right things in the right direction. He, as as well as all of the disciples, understood at this point the goal and the call. When and where did they get this? When and where did this change in their lives where they understood that life was not about this life here on earth? Or if you look at Acts 1, after Jesus' resurrection, of course, and He came back to speak to them. And right before this... You know, the disciples asked Jesus, so is this the time you're going to come and restore Israel? Right? They're still focused on that. And look what Jesus says. He says, It is not for you to know times or reasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you hear that? He's going to give them power. He's going to give them the strength to be witnesses for His glory. You see, they couldn't do it on their own. They had to find strength from the Holy Spirit to encourage them to be witnesses. And if you remember, right after this, Peter had another opportunity to disown Jesus when his life was threatened. And he was bold. He said, you ain't going to stop us. We're going to preach. We're going to talk about God. They didn't care about their earthly lives here anymore. They, were focused on building, they weren't focused on building their own kingdom here on earth. They were willing to lose their life here for an eternal kingdom. They had faith in the eternal greatness instead of earthly greatness. They understood that in order to be great, they had to follow the example that was set by their Lord, that was set by Jesus to be a servant. And they finally realized that they were set free in order... To be servants. There was a purpose in them being set free. It doesn't even sound like it makes sense, right? Set free to be a servant, set free to be a slave. <laughs> Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 7 it says, For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. I'm going to ask you all to keep that Scripture up there because I want you to look at that for a second. See, we see here that Jesus calls us when we were slaves to sin, right? And He frees us up. He who is called in the Lord as a bondservant, we are a slave to sin, is a freedman in the Lord. He frees us up from our sin. But what are we to do with that freedom? What are we to do? Just walk on our merry own lives and keep going? Thank you, Jesus, for the freedom. I'm going to go about my own little plan and purpose. No. After he frees us, we are then called to be a servant of Christ. Look at the second one. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. See, I see this as a double calling. The first one is that salvation comes into our life and he frees us up. Frees us of sin. And then what do we do with that? Do we have enough gratitude And love for what Jesus did for us, that we submit ourselves under the authority of Jesus and say, Now that my life is not my own, it has been redeemed, I place it under your authority to be a servant of you. You see, this is what Jesus is trying to speak to us that the way to have kingdom greatness is not to climb this ladder and become this great person and have servants under us, but is to follow His example and be servants of Him, to follow His ways. And the miraculous thing is that when we do this, this is where true fulfillment comes. This is where true life comes. You see, in our earthly minds, we think, well, if I can just work my way up and get all these things and you know, build these buildings, store all my stuff and accumulate all this stuff, I'll be happier. But it's always the next thing, right? When I get that next thing, then I'll be happier. I get this, and it's never fulfilled. But when we truly take these words and this this direction and this example that Jesus set for us is when we truly find what real life is all about. Amen? And that is what true kingdom greatness is all about. So Lord Jesus, we do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. We thank you that you came to pave the way, to show us a better way. And I pray that we would see it for what it is and that we would not look, in, look at servanthood as a low thing, but we would look at it as such an honor and a privilege to be able to be a servant of the High King. Thank you for being a servant to us and showing us that way. And we just ask that you would give us the strength to walk in that so that we can be witnesses to other people of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank all of you for coming.